You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we will be talking about Doctor <laughs> Who. We will be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Simon and I'm JR and this is the start of our review series of series 5 going back in time to 2010 and Stephen Moffat's first series writing and uh, supervising Doctor Who on account of the fact that there's no new Doctor Who this year and we've not done series 5 yet so we thought we would so we've all just sat and what well Matt and I have just sat and watched The Eleventh Hour. Mm. You had just recently watched it and you... I've just caught up with half of it. Yeah, so So. we've all recently revisited The Eleventh Hour. Um, Okay, before we go any further then, why not? Prior to recently, Matt, how long since... I can't remember. I I think I watched it halfway between when it was on and now, so... A couple of years, yeah. three years ago. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I didn't think I'd seen it since uh, Series 5 was still current. Because mm. there's just, there's no re-watching old Doctor Who in my house. <laughs> 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 so I don't get to watch Doctor Who after it's done. Well, I mean, I do a bit, but <clears throat> I hadn't seen this one since Series 5 was still on. Simon? I'd watched it fairly recently. Um, I had a bout, bout of illness. Literally flat on my back. Didn't know what to do with myself. I'd, yeah, but I mean before that, because I... Cause, well, maybe about a year, year and a half ago, I suddenly had an urge. Well, that's not to too long ago. Yeah, no. It's one that I go back to, mm. that particular episode, mm-hmm. which mm. we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. Let's In that case, let's start... What we're doing on our Facebook is, because we've not done a vote on the uh, fifth series, what I said was, we'll take a vote on the fifth series and we'll read the results out when we get to the Big Bang. Or what we might do, actually, is do the two-parters both together in one episode. Yeah. So it'll only Makes take sense. us ten weeks to get through. So when we get to the Pandorica Opens and the Big Bang, mm. we'll also carry on a bit and talk about the series as a whole and read out the results. But the comments that people are making on their individual stories, I'll read those out as we go. Okay. With the exception of Vampires of Venice, which we reviewed about six months ago. So we'll <laughs> skip that and read the comments for that out with uh, either the episode before or after. On the 11th hour, Steve Herr says, Beautiful introduction to the new Doctor and enchanting first meeting with his new companion, but how dare they waste Olivia Coleman in a throwaway part. Unless, of course, this was her arc of infinity. Nothing would please me more. To be fair, at that point in time in her career... I was going to bring this up. I was going to come back to Olivia Coleman when we start talking about the episode. It's a isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I think there are other mitigating factors that we're going to. We'll talk about that in a bit. We'll do the rest of the comments first and come back. Rob Irwin says, There aren't a lot of really great debut stories, especially post-Pertwee, but I think this is one of them. Doesn't say a lot, but it's a great introduction. 
Kieran Hyman says, Most exciting, a triumphant return for Arthur Cully from the Dominator's Cox. Patrick Moore, <laughs> he has a tiny bar as well, two lines. Which which bit is he? He's the one he? who's car she nicks. And oh, he says, okay. Hey, okay. I will like need bit. my car back. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um... Kieran says, Patrick Moore and Olivia Coleman were in it too, and Caitlin Blackwood was quite good. As for this new companion being a prostitute, that was exciting too, if, a ta- if entirely inappropriate. David Kitchen, <clears throat> I'm not doing comedy Australian accents it? anymore, I've been told off on the 42 to Doomsday. Yeah, 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 a journey between Kissagram and prostitute. I kind of agree that Kissagram is a sort of a code for... I don't think she really was. Really? Well, it's a sort of a children's version, isn't it? Okay. I've got to say, all right, let's stop and do that point. I've got to say, when it transpired that she was a kissogram, I thought that was a bit off. Yeah, I didn't like it. Even if it was just a kissogram, I just thought... And I did think... Well, and the thing about her being a kissogram, inverted commas, is this is for children. So is that code, is Moffat saying she is a prostitute? Or a, strip, uh, or a stripper. I don't know. Or a stripper. I, mean, yeah, I think a, a stripper's probably, yeah. Yeah, a stripper's probably nearer the mark. She does say, I turn up places and kiss people. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but this is, yeah. what I'm saying is, yeah. that's code. There's, there's a sort of an... That's inno- for kids. There's so a kind that, of a seaside innocence to kiss a grand, where a stripper and prostitute... Not so much. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we all use them, but there's still a little bit on the on I mean, the I know Amy's damaged, but no. Come on. Well, this is a point. She says four psychiatrists later, doesn't she? Hmm. Yeah, okay. which is which is not to say that, that the stripping profession or the kissogram profession is full of women <laughs> that go to psychologically damaged, you know, quite balanced. You know, anyway. this problem. Yeah, well, I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about it to go into it. But no. I well, may, maybe we should investigate. <laughs> no. <laughs> Too expensive. Okay. I it's not an area we're getting to, but I didn't think it was an area that Stephen Moffat really should have got into. Yeah. I thought that was one of several inappropriate things in series five, and we'll talk to the other talk about the others as they come up. Okay. But yeah, okay, on that point now, seeing as it's come up so we don't have to come back to it later. I didn't like it. That was something that put me off this episode when mm. I watched it. Mm. And not because I'm a prude, because you watch something else, mm. uh, something that's in the nine o'clock slot, and mm. somebody's a kissogram or a strippogram or a prostitute, that's absolutely fine. But it just felt like in Doctor Who, that's the kind of thing that there really shouldn't be a place for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can paper over the cracks, to coin a phrase, by saying, oh, I rock up at parties and kiss people. But... That is not a great example to be setting out to kids. No. And if kids are watching something like Doctor Who and the new companion is somebody who turns up at parties and kisses people, what kind of a message is potentially that sending out? I, I wonder if it was there li- literally as a device to slot Get her in into a, a police bit. uniform. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Just purely that to prick that little thing of the Doctor's innocence because he does say what's kiss her up. It's kiss gram. I don't understand. Yeah, they do that all through the series, actually, mm. as mm. I recall. I th- In fact, all through. I think it's Miss Tennant. I think because it's important that she's wearing a doctor, a, a policeman's uniform throughout, and there's a the bit of comedy about 
the old lady not knowing if she's a, a nun. But basically, <laughs> yeah. Or a nurse. Do you know what? It's a, bit, it's a little bit picture yeah. postcard, though, when you do yeah. talk nun, I th- I nurse. Think when, but when basically... Go, I think it goes beyond the point... It, it's seedy, but it, it goes, goes beyond to the, the point where it's like 1970s When rather than... Matt Smith yeah. wakes up in that house and sees the ginger girl in yeah. front of him... Mm. Unless she has a hair tied it away in a uniform and has a reason to be there, that would be a reason other than being the owner of the house. He has no reason to think it's anybody other than Amelia Pond and that he's overshot by several years. So she has to be there for a reason that would appear to be independent of living there. Yes. And she has to have her hair tied it away. I don't believe the reason for her being a kissogram is... I don't think that's the core reason. I just think that's a side effect of it. And no, yes. I think that is. Do you? I yeah, don't. I do. I think that's why he puts it in. But but I think he's happy to put it in because I think it also tickles him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, th- I don't think that's the core reason. I think that's a side effect. The idea no, being no. that he overshoots time-wise, therefore she has to be there in some form where he doesn't recognise her as Amelia. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's yeah, what I'm saying. But that's I'm, why. Yeah, but I'm not saying that the, the, the titillation side of it is a core... That's just a nice side effect. Oh, yeah, you're agreeing with me. Oh, sorry, I thought you were saying it was... Yeah, you are agreeing with one another. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. we're saying exactly the same thing. Though, oh, right, Simon. Okay. I'm up. saying the reason she's dressed as a police Simon. officer no, wait, is so that he can have the scene where he doesn't recognise her. Yeah. And the titillating bit yes. is the side effect that yes. Moffat's happy to go I agree. with. Sorry, I thought you were saying the opposite. It's a, it's a natural. I, it's nobody it's a natural ever assumption. listens to me on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to be honest, it's a natural assumption that you would be saying the opposite. <laughs> so we just, we just assume that. Yeah, yeah. On... You're just like a spinning magnet, yeah, yeah. Jail. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Right, next comment. And given yeah. that I've been told off on 42 to Doomsday for having a, uh entirely inauthentic Australian accent, there will be no more Australian accents on this podcast. Okay. David Kitchen says, I know there's a lot of love for this story, but oh, it's oh, never... Oh, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> you don't think I should do that? No, I think Australia- still in picture postcard. A cod Australian oh. accent is fine, but a cod Irish accent, you start getting into, tr- into trouble. <laughs> I don't think there's any more trouble I could get into than I oh, already okay. have with my accents. Carry on then. It's fine. David Kitchen says, I know there's a lot of love for this story, but it's never really engaged me. My memory of watching it is that it's very flat, and I found the Doctor's antics at the start silly rather than quirky. Plus, Amy comes across as really creepy in this one. Gerard Gray says, I loved Matt Smith's first series as the Doctor. I think The Eleventh Hour is one of the best regeneration stories of all time. And Dylan Reese says, best debut story for a Doctor ever. Smith hits the ground running and Moffat delivers everything you could want from a Doctor Who story. I'm the Doctor. Basically, run still gives me chills. (laughs) Um, i got to say... I'm a little bit where David Kitchen is. Which What did he say again? David Kitchen <laughs> says, I know there's a lot of love for this story, but it's never really engaged me. Oh, My memory okay. of watching it is that it's very flat, and I found the Doctor's antics at the start silly rather than quirky. Mm. Plus, Amy comes across as really creepy in this one. <clears throat> I think that in spite of the speed of it and the speed of the gags and the speed of the ideas which deceive you into thinking 
that what's going on is more coherent than it really is, I think it's an absolute mess of an episode. Which is not to say that I don't like it. I like it a lot. I think it's tremendous fun. But I think you get to the far end of it and it's very unfulfilling. And Simon's looking at me as if I'm absolutely it's, insane. No, it's this word deceive. Um, I think, no, but when I say deceive, I don't mean that pejoratively. No. I don't mean it's making you out to be stupid or something. Yeah. But what I mean is, if you've got something that's not especially good in inverted commas, right. like something that's not particularly deep or meaningful or something like that, okay. it doesn't mean it can't be excellent it can't excel in other areas Mm. but what it does sometimes something like this is it makes you think it's better than it is because it's so fast and it feels fulfilling it's like fish fingers and custard is the perfect metaphor for the episode fish fingers and custard is probably like really fills you up really quickly tastes really nice Mm. and then half an hour later you're probably thinking i could do with something a bit more substantial now isn't it funny because i think that it's really quite deep Mm. i don't see any depth there i see the depth as there's the there's a lot going on in as much as the setting up of uh, amy as a character Mm. and also uh this may be my perception maybe me reading things into it i'm quite open to that is that it is a metaphor for childhood into adulthood i sorry that almost almost went into my idea. Oh, did it? Yeah, because my idea is that you've got um, you've got Amelia Pond as the uh, small, just, the innocent. Oh no, no, I'll just put in at this point. Yeah. When I said I was just given an example, I don't think this is not meaningful. No, okay. When I but what I mean is when I say it's a mess, I mean as a story, it's a mess. For me, it felt. I think okay. all these other things are there. It's definitely a game but of as two a story, parts. It's a mess. Yeah. I will say. I think I really like it. And I'm much more positive than you You are. I'm actually not unpositive. Mm. I do this I, thing no, where yeah, no, I have well, two sides of my brain. Yeah, and yeah. one side of the brain completely loves it because it is, for an hour and five minutes, mm. it is exceptionally entertaining. But the other half of my brain says at the end of it, okay, I've been entertained. I think what I, what I saw was, what I see it as is it feels a little bit like a string of audition <clears throat> pieces mm. tied together. So a lot of scenes which could have been the the mm. Matt Smith audition or the, the Karen Gillan audition. And, and I also... plus, just on that point, plus there are lots of bits where it feels like it's auditioning to be a programme. Like the bit where with the room with the perception filter. Mm. That feels like it's come from an entirely different episode from everything else. So that feels like an audition for a programme, if you know what I mean. Possibly. I mean, I, I also think that the, the, the fish fingers and custard scene, which... I like is an individual thing. I think it gets in the way of of the pro, the episode starting. Yeah. So I think that's too long, and I think the final scene is too long as well. Yeah. So the actual meat of the episode happens sort of it's an it's imbalanced. I think. Yes, that's what I mean when I say it's a mess. But yeah. for me, I was thinking that I was watching obviously <clears> watching <throat> a bit of it tonight before you came over just to refresh my memory, and I was thinking, God, when my daughter Freya, who is starting to get into her Harry Potter and all that sort of thing really says, do you know what, Dad? It's time to sit down and watch some Doctor Who. That will be the first episode I show mm. her because it is as good as any starting point in Doctor Who. It absolutely encapsulates everything that's brilliant about the new Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah, uh, except... Yeah. 
And do you know what? This is the weird thing about it. All this stuff is going on, but do you know what's missing? Mm. And in spite of several mentions of fairy tale and stuff, it doesn't feel that magical to me. Yeah, but there's a certain loss of innocence to it. I in as much as that, you see Amelia Pond, and she, well, yeah, she's even but that's saying, the opposite of magical. Oh yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, we, well that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm explaining it's not there. Mm. He says, I mean, upon this, like something out of a fairy tale. It's the, the last thing she feels because all she's been having done to her is being let down by adults. But there is something, there is something great that they do with Amelia Pond because we see her <coughs> as a child, and then we see her halfway, and then we see her her finally. So there's there's sort of three different Amelia Ponds that we see. And you don't get that with you very rarely get that with other companions that oh, you've no, actually you've no. actually got the whole background and you've seen the whole background mm. and they filled in he's filled in the gaps and we well, see the relationship yeah. between this my, is the brilliant thing that Stephen Moffat's done is actually say right because I mean Russell T Davies was the first one who actually addressed the first writer showrunner whatever producer who actually addressed the reason why people go with the Doctor mm. and he says. Okay, what we will do is, and with three different characters, he came up with basically the same reason three times. This character's at a point in their life where the world is not opening up for them. Mm-hmm. So here comes the doctor, and he opens up the door of this box, and this box allows you to go in and be the person that you should be, but aren't getting the opportunity to be. Mm-hmm. And that's true with Rose. And with Donna, and with Martha, not necessarily true, but her family background seems to be dragging her back a bit. And while she's doing her medical doctorate, chances are when she becomes a doctor, she gets stuck in the treadmill of being a doctor. So, you know, it's probably as true for her as it is for the other two, but it's slightly less obvious. That's one reason for travelling with the doctor, but Stephen Moffat, and this is what I always say he does, is he does the sci-fi thing. He uses science fiction as a kind of metaphor mm. or an analogy of some kind in the fiction to sort of take a starting point like that and do it, but do it entirely metaphorically instead of straightforward. So instead of it being at the end, oh, look, Rose, all of time and space, a chance to better yourself. Mm. Instead, you get a companion who would have gone with him anyway mm. when she was however old she was at the start, seven or whatever it is. But obviously, that wouldn't have been the right and appropriate age for her. Mm. But I mean, if you'd have started with Amy Pond at 19 in the garden at mm. the start of it, she'd have gone with him. And it would have been the same as Rose and Donna and everything else. You also get something that prefigures Amy's exit in that you get a companion who finds out about time travel without going into the TARDIS. She finds out about it the long way round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because she can't get into the box. So she sees a time traveller appearing. And then obviously her exit is her and Rain, uh, her and Rory. Rory finding out about time travel the hard way by going back and back in time and forced to live out their entire lives in the mm. past. I think the really strong metaphor, if there is one, and so this is how I see it, is that she gets this dangled carrot of positivity that, wow, life can be a fairy tale. There's all this amazing stuff dangled in front of her, taken away from her. Mm. So she's been let down through her childhood and then yet another person letting her down. So that's where she becomes very bitter and very... I, 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 I you... use that word damaged and I apologise for that because it's a little bit hard. Do you know what I think? Go on so then. I think Amy Pond is somebody who waits for the Doctor. <clears throat> and she waits for the Doctor for its 12 years. And then she has a brief adventure. And then she waits for the Doctor again, yeah. only for him to come back. 
And that's exactly what fans did mm. in 1989. In fact, it's, <laughs> and it's 14 years she waits until the Doctor finally comes back. And that's not far off from 1990 to 2005. Mm. I think... I think I'm not sure whether it's intentional, but I was I was watching it thinking, nice. thinking, and she's a fan because she's got yeah she's got uh, toys of the doctor she's got, and pictures. She's and got things. things that she's produced whilst the doctor's been away. There was an awful lot In when the, Amy, the wilderness years yeah. <laughs> when Amy was a companion. There was an awful lot of negative reaction to her. People didn't I think people that didn't like her. next week, and but I think that is part of her character. You're not supposed to like it. You you not she she doesn't. She's not making she's these. Spiky. I liked her much more yeah. rewatching it when when it was on the first time. I found her to be slightly too much, and I I think she's fine in this episode because she's reacting to the story. I, re- I, I remember, think when it carries on throughout the entire series, I think it becomes problematic. I remember feeling like she was overacting in this story. Yeah, the acting's another. But, side I, to but it. actually, actually watching it, she again, was fine. In I this. was I was watching it and thinking, actually, I really like her, and I, that might be. With the weight of episodes that I've watched subsequently, after this, yeah. that now I've got used to Karen Gillan, and I've appreciated well, she... her more as an actress, mm, and I can see mm. what she's doing. She here. mellows a lot in series six, yeah, yeah. Because I think the point is series five, and I suppose this is what we'll discover as we go on this journey for the next few weeks. Series five is the story of how she comes to terms with it, yeah. And at the end of the series, she marries Rory, and she's at terms with it. Yeah. And then in series six, she's a much mellower character. So here mm. she is on state one. Yeah, she's clearly for you know this, right thing, this business about snogging the doctor. I know we're going to come to that later in the series, mm. but you know that is the sort of decision. I've known people like that. I've known people who've gone through their life being let down by people, and they just think, "What the hell? What the hell?" Oh um, well, God's sakes! There's the stories of people who you know grooms who shag bridesmaids at, on their actual wedding day and that kind yeah. of stuff. It happens. Yeah. But again, I think we'll get to that when we get to yeah, it. Yeah, as to whether it's appropriate Doctor Who, but I understand why it happens in the story, but it's, as to whether yeah, it's appropriate. Yeah, when people say that is the um, you know least likely thing to happen, not a bit of it. Yeah. But we'll come to that. But um, but I, I do feel that this is the big setup, and I do feel that there's a lot going on. And you're saying about the, the it seems like an audition tape. Of course it's an audition tape, because these characters are auditioning themselves for the audience. I think my... my right, you're looking my, at me now. That was mad. No, 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 my, my, my point was it felt like a string of audition Okay, tapes. Yeah, so it's, it's not the... a string of scenes mm. to demonstrate how these characters work together, mm. which I didn't mind, and actually I quite liked, mm. and it, they worked together. I think there's a real chemistry between her and Matt Smith. Mm. But as a story, as a coherent story overall... Okay. Sort of I mean, it's, it's, like, it go, it's like that scene at the start, fish fingers and custard. Yeah. Too long. So by the time you get into the story, oh. when he actually gets up to the bedroom with a crack, mm. that's like, oh. I was, I was watching it thinking, God, it's lovely how this is. They let it take its time. Oh, it's They're lovely. Always, I honestly think it's one of the best yeah, pieces of television ever. It's lovely, yeah. Yeah. but it disturbs the flow of the story. Yeah. And then at the end, the yep. scene where he calls the Atraxi back, I'll talk about that mm. in a minute because I think that's extremely problematic. Again, disturbs the flow of the story. But all the way through, the bit on the village green mm. where you go into the Doctor's mind and you see what he's seeing to try mm. and work out what he's spotted that's going to help him solve the puzzle. Mm. Again, just too long, disturbs mm. the flow of the story. It's like that whole thing where the camera's going around the green in 
photo shutter time or whatever it is, is something like 45 seconds when really it needed to be about 20. Mm. It needed to be snappy. Yeah. It was a lovely effect, though. It was. It was really and, but effect. all the way through always... the episode, there are lots. See, this, and this was Russell T. Davis's big problem. If he wanted characters to have a conversation, those characters were damn well going to have those conversa- those conversations, no matter where in the episode they came. So you get things like in The Runaway Bride. Uh, there's a scene in The Runaway Bride that lasts for 15 minutes in a throwaway run-around Christmas <laughs> special. 15 minutes. With it's pro- ridiculous. It's the problem for the, with these some of these episodes where they're allowed extra time. And they don't fill the extra. They don't. They, it seems <clears> that they don't write the story of, based on the extra time. They write the story, and, and then, then they just add the bits they should have but cut. One of the reasons for that is because a story that's sixty-five minutes long will be sent out to certain purchasers in a forty-five-minute edit. Mm. So, and this was true also of Deep Breath. I think there's a forty-five-minute version of Deep okay. Breath. So, in some ways, you have to have lots of scenes that are excisable in order to excisable for certain markets. But that doesn't alter the fact that when you do watch the 65-minute cut, it does feel disjointed and Mm. badly paced. And, I mean, I'm not saying that the 11th hour felt really badly paced. It just felt oddly paced, and that was part of what made it a mess. The other thing I think that makes it a mess... And although there's dialogue in there to kind of explain this away, Prisoner Zero escapes and then sits in a room for 12 years. Now, I don't care what dialogue you're going to give me to throw that away. Prisoner Zero, once he's escaped, is not going to sit in a room for 12 years. Isn't there a... Yeah. There's a line. There's a line to do with the years. This is like a blip to it. Yeah, yeah, like a blip. But But nevertheless, if you've just escaped from somewhere... I don't know whether we're thinking of something actually physically sitting in a room, because it seems to be a more nebulous sort of energy. But but my issues with Prisoner Zero are kind of more cosmetic than that. I can kind of... I can understand that. When you see the manifestation of it, it's very much your, your stereotypical monster. If, it, as you say, it was more nebulous, yeah. almost like it was disembodied, yeah. but it manifested into people, that maybe would have made more sense. You're taking me too literally. When I say he sits in a room for 12 years, I don't mean he actually sits in a room for 12 no, years. But I mean, in 12 years, he makes no attempt to actually escape from the vicinity of the crack, which is where he knows the Atraxia. With the, the explanation, I know... It's a it's a pretty one. Is he prisoner zero recognizes the doctor when he first arrives, so he sits waiting for the doctor to come back. So he's sat in the ah, same in the same point. location that he knows the doctor's going to come back to. <clears throat> yeah. So that's why that is the case. Why, it's not clear enough because the doctor's his ticket out. How? Because the doctor's got a TARDIS. Well, we don't necessarily. That doesn't I mean, follow through that, in the story. Prisoner Zero makes no attempt. Said, it says in the story the doctor says that Prisoner Zero is homing in on him. So the Prisoner Zero waiting for him the to get back. patient saying, Doctor, Doctor. Yeah. Doctor, yeah. yeah. Okay. But then you need a scene somewhere in the episode where Prisoner Zero tries to take the TARDIS. True. Possibly. Or similar. Yeah. I mean, he, he nicks his sonic screwdriver, doesn't he? At one point. Otherwise, it's yeah. just words. <laughs> yeah, it's but, uh, yes. I mean, but I mean, what you're is, doing? It is an extra. It is the explanation to why 
No, <laughs> what it is, your issue, what it is, is an excuse for words. Stephen Moffat to tell a story where the Doctor disappears for twelve years and comes back yeah. in an yeah. ongoing story. Yeah, but it is explained in the story. Yeah, like um, I say, as an excuse. I, it's I, not a reason. It's an excuse. Uh, yeah, there needs to be more there. There needs to be more meat on the bones there, doesn't there? Because let's face it, when Prisoner Zero is capable of taking over coma patients Mm. and all this kind of stuff, let's face it, when the Doctor turns up and opens that crack, knowing that Prisoner Zero is already through, there is absolutely no reason why an intelligent creature wouldn't already be in his TARDIS that's only just behind him in the garden. I think it might be one of those things where you either don't explain it at all and just just forget about it as a problem, or you explain it... If you explain it fully, absolutely fully, then you might be drawing attention to the fact that it's a slightly ridiculous idea. <laughs> so it is a slightly ridiculous idea. Just as few throwaway kind of explanations and gloss over it and move on. That's it what I mean. It didn't, have... it didn't strike me as a massive problem when I saw it the first time. It's and an actually, issue. Now I'm sitting here, the pacing didn't strike me as a problem when I first saw it. It's only in retrospect, I think. No, I... Because when I sat there, the, the first screening, I just rolled with it, I think. It just it just happened as it mm. happened. Mm. Now, the pacing's been an issue with me ever since I very first watched it. Mm. When, I've, it when I very first watched it on broadcast, I thought it was a huge disappointment. Ooh. And then when I watched Ooh. it again the next day, I thought it was brilliant. And then I watched it a third time at some point during the broadcast of Series 5 a couple of weeks later. I thought, no, what it is is an episode that does what it does really well, but actually isn't especially satisfying in and of itself. And I don't think... You know, one of the reasons why I suppose it gets away with certain things, as well as it being the start of certain things, it's the start of the story of Amy coming to terms with what's happened to her. But then, of course, this is where all the things are done to her that she needs to come to terms with. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I don't think there's any coming to terms at all. I think this is the... Uh, that's yeah, si- that's like cycle. The she doesn't need to come yeah. to terms with these things unless this episode gives her those things to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not a reason for it to sort of exist as the start of a story beyond the fact that it is the start of a story. Mm. You know, it doesn't explain anything that it hasn't set up to need explaining. Mm. So I I don't think it sets up as much of Series 5 in the sort of superficial fictional terms. Mm. It sets up a lot about the characters. Definitely. And I think it's also... A, there's a but kind I think of a, it confuses there's a kind on of the a, science. I think there's a kind of stylistic thing where it's gently deconstructing everything you had with Russell T. Davis because it's set in the village. So with Russell T. Davis, we didn't get things like Village Greens, which is quite an old... Quite, yeah. I, I quite liked it. So mm. it didn't go into a city. It wasn't set in Cardiff pretending to be London, which no, is no, a very no. Russell T. Davis thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it, it yeah. gave us... And that, for me, that was a sort of a hint of... I mean, it obviously reminded me of Spare from Space and the Demons, but it's also... It's far more it like also felt series, nostalgic, and that's more of... And that, for me, felt a bit more magical than, it than Rose was, did, Yeah, it was a Russell T. Davis plot given a Stephen Moffat character and dialogue makeover mm. set in the classic series instead of the new series. Yeah. Which is very I mean, the Stephen, whole eye in the sky thing is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was that's the point. That's that's before he launches into the, the series from the Beast Below onwards. 
I, I don't think, think he really sort of transitional. I don't think he really gets to being Stephen Moffat though until the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang. Maybe cohesively, maybe I think. Yeah. Like you say, there are various elements in here, like the. the I ch- think throughout ch- ch- series the, five, the Angels story, the Angels story does a good run. I mean, it's it's the Angels story is not clever in the way that Stephen Moffat stories are clever. It's very straightforward. Uh, there's no, there's no, su- there's no there surprises in the Angel yeah. story. I think that that ending of part one in the Angel story. I know mm. we're going to talk about that later anyway. Oh well, I mean, yeah, but there's I, little riffs. There's little, yeah, there's things, mm, but yeah. it doesn't feel like fully developed. Stephen, Mar- it's not a blink no. or a girl in the fireplace. No, but then I, th- I think they work because they were one-offs. Well, no, so, but they're not so really, think, are they? I think with Stephen Moffat, I don't his, think his yeah, but, run of the mill episodes. They're not one-offs, Matt, though, are they? Because all the ideas that are in Girl in the Fireplace turning up in somebody at various different points in their timeline turns up in the 11th hour. Mm. And all the stuff in Blink about the past affecting the future and it being cyclical turn up in Series 5 and Series 6. You're taking me a bit literally. What what I meant was they're one-offs in terms of their popularity. So, so Blink and the Girl in the Fireplace sort of stand alone in terms of how they're regarded, mm. and the ideas come back. But I'm not talking about in terms think, of how they're regarded. I think I'm we're talking time, in terms of the time, writing. With Time saying, of Angels, with Time of Angels, that story, that's him. That's him using these ideas to try and create a story that then can be repeated. So that's him getting into his stride as a I know a you mean that. There is a perception of certain writing. standalone episodes for Stephen Moffat, isn't there? Because yeah. it, uh, you've got your listens and you've got your heaven sense. Yeah. As yeah. Well. So they do. Yeah. They are they like do a, come like, back. They're like yeah. a ball. You can treat them on their own if yeah. you want to. And there was, there are elements, yes, my of, elements of that point back was, was You don't get to experience what Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who will be until you get to the Pandorica Opens. No. And then when you get to the Pandorica Opens... From that point forwards, all of Series 6 is more like the Pandorica Opens than it is like any of the other episodes of Series 5. And Series seven's a bit in between, and there's a bit Russell T. Davis in there again. Mm. But Series 8 and Series 9, again, are kind of on the template that the Pandorica Opens establishes. But Stephen Moffat doesn't establish that template until he gets to the Pandorica open. So the That's rest of natural... Series 5 feels in between mm, It is a natural transition. Two things going on in there. There's essentially finding your feet, which is fair enough, and there's also that blurring between RTD and... But it looks a... to me like he's trying to gradually transition from what Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who was to what Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who will be. Mm. And that's why the 11th hour feels like a, St- uh, a Russell T. Davis plot, given a Stephen Moffat makeover... Whereas I think he'd be much more confident when he starts writing Stephen Moffat plots. Because mm. this was not a Stephen Moffat plot. It's about... I mean, this has got the same plot yeah. as Smith and Jones. The, the basic mm. plot. Mm. I think the, the girl who waited side of it, I think that is more Stephen Moffat. Oh, it is. That's, that's why I'm that's saying it's Moffat. in between the two. Yeah, yeah. So it's a hybrid. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And, but the A plot... And this is what I'm saying. This is why I think it feels like a mess. The A plot is Russell T. Davis and the B plot is Stephen Moffat. Whereas I think Stephen Moffat is on much firmer ground where both the A plot and the B plot are Stephen Moffat. And that's why it doesn't feel coherent to me. It just, just a hybrid, whatever word you want to use, it just feels like something in between. 
Whereas I, and whatever, and yeah. as enjoyable as something in between it can be, mm. and I like, you know, when it comes to music, I don't like this genre or that genre. I like music that splices genres together. I think I think that's one of the reasons I quite like the story, though. I think that's the well, I don't dislike I, it. I, that's one. <clears throat> I don't dislike it. I'm just saying it is a mess. Okay. Or. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a mess because of the way the individual scenes tie together. I think the fact that Well, I think that's the, I think the a fact, symptom. No, of... I think the fact that there's a, an A plot and a B plot feel like they're from different sources. Yeah, and that's... I, I quite I quite like that fact but because that's... it it gets comfort of the, the Russell but T. Davis. That's and a the symptom sense of, of it having an A plot and a I B can't, plot. I managed to get to the end of a sentence. <laughs> but that <laughs> Yes, but I'm trying to make a point about the start of your sentence rather than the okay. end of your sentence, okay. which how is do, why I'm trying to how do you cut know, in. How do you know what the end of my sentence is going to be? Because maybe the end of my sentence will explain the start of my sentence. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly time you want. I know. Because I can maybe hear I should, it's going elsewhere. I should do a Stephen Moffat thing of giving the, the end of my sentence first maybe so that people are prepared for it, and then I can start it halfway through. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah. sort of a flashback. I think Sorry, the on. disjointed feel of it is a symptom of the fact that it's two plots that aren't really cohering with one another. Mm. And that's why you get scenes. Because it's Rusty Davis proved that you can have a 15-minute scene where everybody just stops and talks for 15 minutes in the middle of a throwaway Christmas runaround mm. if the whole piece feels coherent. And The Runaway Bride, I think, is underrated, and I think it works. And when it stops for 15 minutes, I don't especially have a problem with that. Sometimes that's just how stories mm. go. Mm. And as long as things are happening in that scene, it doesn't really matter that it's all in one place for 15 minutes. But I think when you've got a longish scene that's probably too long which is followed by another scene that feels like it's come out of a different programme, whether that's because, you know, these all feel like audition pieces. Yeah, that's a valid point. That's part of what it feels like. Then your mind kind of, instead of your mind flowing along with the story, your mind kind of stops and starts again, and that's what gives you the disjointedness. Mm -hmm. So those longer scenes uh, take you too far away from the... When those longer scenes are in the A plot... They take you too far away from the B plot mm. so that you have to snap back into the B plot. Whereas if they were shorter, they might not take you that far away from it. So there's less of a transition to go back into it. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Saying. I think I, it's not how I experience it, but I mean, I agree. I agree with the issues mm. in a sense. I agree with it in the same way as I have a, a slight problem with end of time and that final long s sequence in end of time because it's a special episode that has to finish the story and then tie up mm. a whole era. With this one, it seems to be they have to start an era and tell a story, and they haven't quite. He hasn't worked out quite perhaps. successful in doing both at the same time. So yeah, it yeah. feels paced, but I, I still don't think that's that's. I think that's slightly a separate issue from the Russell T Davis aspect and the Stephen Moffat aspect colliding in the middle. Well, I think because that's... I quite like I quite like that. Facts, and well, I don't does... think that's why I feel that it's disjointed. <clears throat> I think it's disjointed because he's trying to do two things mm. in an episode, and he doesn't quite, doesn't yeah, but quite do them coherently. I think one same. of those things that he's doing is trying to appeal to people who liked Russell T Davies' yeah. Doctor Who, yeah. and so this is why he uses a lot of. And you say it's a deconstruction yeah. of Russell T Davies. It's a force in awakens, a way, isn't it? 
Well, I've still not seen it, but yeah, probably. In, in as much as they're using oh, yeah. a lot of elements from the the old in order to get the audience back on yeah. board. And with Force Awakens, it, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So it's something like this. I haven't punch. seen and it we've because got one coming on, which is something completely different. Ooh, have you seen the trailer? Oh my God, it's good. But yes, <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, oh, I was only going to say, and this, I'm not going to shock anybody by saying that yeah. in the voting so far, I've had about a dozen votes in for Series 5 so far, and the 11th has runaway leader. Mm. This is going to win the vote, and that's not a surprise. This is the one that everybody loves. You know, um, Eric from I think um, love is mostly a harmless, very strong word with it, yeah. Eric from Mostly Harmless Cutaway has watched love is this critical, about is it? 40 or 50 times. Mm-hmm. There's not many episodes of Doctor Who where anybody would watch them 40 or 50 times, let alone somebody who's, you know, intelligent enough to understand what he's watching and talk about it in the way that Eric does. And then, uh, you know, so when I say I think it's a mess, I don't think it being a mess is a problem. Mm. It's just what I take away from it. Mm. When I get to the end of it, you know, I'm just saying that's my takeaway is that I, I go away from it finding myself vastly entertained for 60 minutes, absolutely, but a little yeah. bit confused as to how. It's like I just said though, love love isn't critical. People love this episode. I love this episode. Yeah. And the same way as you fancy a girl despite her flaws, mm. you, you do. Think, you know, the whole Prisoner Zero thing is largely cosmetic. It's just mm. a threat that isn't particularly... <clears throat> As you say, hasn't got much substance to it. Well, that was one of the issues, wasn't it? At the time, people were expecting Prisoner Zero to come back because people were, mm. people were. Oh, I think Stephen Moffat had said a quote. He said, "You've got to take notice of everything, <laughs> like the ducks." Well, and what Stephen Moffat really meant was there will be things in this going forwards that are a little bit more. Um, convoluted than you would get with a Russell T. Davis arc. Mm. And what he meant was it's a story about characters in a more fundamental way than just this character goes from being somebody who's not very mm. bright mm. to somebody who is very bright. And I, I guess the, uh, so the Russell T. Davis-ness of this season is the Pandora opens because that's the phrase that keeps getting repeated. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The Stephen Moffat-ness of this is the the secondary thing about um, what the cracks really are? What the cracks really are also um, Amy Pond being a fairy tale. So he says this name's like Amelia Pond. That's like a name out of a fairy tale, which clearly sets up final episode where he reboots the universe because also, because it's stored in her story. Yeah, and that and that does also come back in Time of Angels as well. So, so there's the, the and I think very that's problematic Moffat, as the very well. Stephen Moffat scene of the Doctor from the future coming back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is actually my favourite bit of the Time of Angels, the story. It's a lovely scene, and that is very Stephen Moffat. That is, that oh is, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's something that uh, Russell T Davis wouldn't have done. I don't think. No, no, no. Because you have to be looking really. It looks like a mistake. Anyway, I was gonna. Just go down to some brass tacks and say, right, the things that went through the season and the things that didn't, mm. which were the ones that didn't? Mm. Because at the end of this episode, there were lists online of every last thing in this episode <laughs> with people trying to work out how it was going to tie into the arc. Yeah. The Duck Pond, for one. And Prisoner Zero, why I brought Prisoner it up. Zero. People were expecting Prisoner Zero to be the big bad at the end of the series. And if you're talking about the series, the silence didn't come back. 
Sorry? The silence didn't come back. Mm. How do you mean? Well, well they were mentioned in this, yeah. in this episode and they didn't come back in this series. Oh, no, no, sorry, yeah. Yes, yeah. you're right. So, I mean, Although they, they do, then. but you just don't see them. Yes, yes. yes. Because yeah. they're in the lodger and they're in... Well, they're the catalyst the for the bang. whole thing, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you just don't, or you don't remember seeing. Well, that. actually, the, and also the, the the actual crack, the meaning of the crack. I mean, it does come back at the end, but it keeps the meaning of the crack. The crack keeps on expanding in meaning, appropriately well, enough. I don't it think it does. One thing, then it means another thing, and then finally, it's. I don't think it does mean up. different things. It doesn't. Mean I think that's a misreading of it. In this episode, he says, "Of the crack, all that's happened is." two different places in time and space have met. Yeah. So what the TARDIS has done in exploding in the way it does at the end of the series is open up a bunch of wormholes. Yeah. So each wormhole will function in a different way according to what's at the other side of the wormhole. Mm. I think this is what people misread. When he showed us in um, the Angel story one kind of wormhole where if you get taken into the wormhole, you know, your entire existence is forgotten about. That's just because that's what's on the other side of that wormhole. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that's on the other side of all the cracks. It's, a, I, it's a, physically the same crack. Yeah, I, I, think people I got the impression that it was the same, the same crack yeah. with a different thing behind it each time. But mm -hmm. when I say the meaning well, changed, I mean the meaning expanded. So, but it doesn't, so because it use, does change the entirely. Of, the use of the cracks through the series... To start with, it's Prisoner Zero. Then it's a way of killing Rory off in the Silurian story. Then it's a way of killing the angels off in mm. the angel story, or then the other way around. Uh, and then, and then beyond this series, it becomes wider and wider until it's the destination of the time lords. I'm not saying it's changing. But, I'm saying I know it is I'm changing because when it's the destination it. of the time lords. If you were to go through there, you wouldn't forget because the time lords are at the other side. It's a mm. different thing that's at the other side. Well, no, no and but, in but this as episode, you say, it's like a wormhole, but with a, the same entrance. So it's the same crack, but with different things behind. Yes, time. yeah. And in this episode, he talks about Amelia's parents. After mm. Amelia's parents have gone, have been taken into the crack at the start of this episode. Mm. That's her first night on her own mm. when. The doctor meets her, but she hasn't forgotten them entirely in the way she would have in the angel two-parter because he talks about them and she talks about the apple. Yeah. So it's a different thing. Whatever's going on here is a different thing. And the crack, then he sees the prison, not prisoner zero, but the prison mm -hmm. is on the other side of the crack. Yeah. With the Atraxi, the Atraxi are on the other side of the crack. Mm. And then they come and surround the earth. But they don't come through the crack to surround the Earth. They come through space to surround the Earth. So the crack that's in Amelia's bedroom is a crack in space, mm. but not in time. So as I say, the fact that the, the, the crack is physically the same, cosmetic thing again, looks the same, <clears throat> gives the illusion that it's all the same crack, but it isn't actually. It's just, no. a, it's just a fracture yeah, yeah. in space and time. I think it's supposed to be the same the same, no, I don't the think same it is. I, th I think, I think it's supposed it. to be the same, yes, in because order it's all been I'm created sure, by the same sure effect. He, I'm pretty sure he said in the time time of the Doctor, mm. time of the Doctor, time of the Doctor, yeah. that it never went away. 
no. the crack never went away. And I think that's the key, the key thing. So it's a meeting place of lots of different places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's in different places. I don't know, yes. What he means is... Behind it. Yeah. When he, I, mm. But what I mean, what I think he means is you can't repair it entirely. So when he says this crack never went away, he doesn't mean this crack is every crack. What he means is, you know, when you repair... If your car starts getting rusty mm. and it's got rust all over the bodywork, you can repair as much of it as you like, but you'll never get every last bit. Mm. So in the time of the Doctor, when he says the crack never went away, all I think he means is that's a crack that's been left over when the rest of them have been repaired. Mm. That's what it felt like to me. Okay. Because otherwise there'd still be cracks everywhere. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, yeah. My, my, my main, my, my take on it is the fact that because it all looks like the same crack, then you know it all comes from the same source. And, and because, also because it's a crack in time and space mm. that... You can have that sort of complicated thing of it being the same crack but everywhere. Yeah, because that's what that's what wormholes are. It's it's like space folded in on itself, mm. and t- once you add time folded in on itself as well, then sort of all bets are off about where the crack manifests. It can, I it can know, manifest I always itself of a wormhole as being point A at one end and yeah, point B at the other. But this isn't a wormhole, so this is like well, a, a like a wormhole, but. But more well, break. Uh, uh, yeah, what it yeah. reminds me of is the uh, the subtle knife from the mm, um, yeah. It's not materials. Yeah, yeah. It's the same yeah. as there's a knife that can but, slice uh, between realities. I, be I think if that's you know. Well, I think probably Russell T. Davis picked up on Philip Pullman. He did. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. probably the point is Stephen Moffat doesn't lay it out, so we'll no, never really no, know. No, no, no. But the underlying we can talk, we can point... talk about Amy's crack all night. And but the, un- come to a but the underlying point is you shouldn't expect every crack you encounter to work in the same way as all the others. No. no. And the problem there is that because Stephen Moffat uses a crack in the Angel two-parter where he wants the people who go through to be completely forgotten... Which is not fundamentally necessary in that story. I just had an idea. Sorry, go on. Oh, because he wants to use that for Rory, because he wants Amy to forget Rory. Yeah. So he uses it in the Angel two-parter, even though it doesn't really matter whether you forget the soldiers or not. Mm. I mean, that becomes a thing in that story, but it's not fundamentally necessary for the plot. But he wants to foreshadow what happens with Rory. Mm. Otherwise, when you get to Rory, people in the audience will be scratching their heads saying, why has that happened? But because in those two stories, he's used the crack to do the same thing twice in a row, that gives the impression to the person watching that the cracks will always do the same thing. Do you know what it's like? It's like getting a door, a magic door, and depending where you put it, it does something different. Well, that's, it's, it's, the, places, so. it's the TARDIS, basically. Yeah. And that's it. this is what I, I forgot... The crack is tied to the TARDIS. Yeah. The TARDIS caused the crack. So it's not surprising that the crack moves through time and space. Mm. It'll be wherever the Doctor is because it's wherever the TARDIS is. So of it's course. got a constant <clears throat> proximity yeah. to, the tar- to the TARDIS. And the so way... The, the, and it's an analogy. Yeah. So it could be the same crack that's just following the TARDIS around time and space mm. until the Time Lords finally... Well, we don't know what happened to The crack still could return. It's, it's one of those things. It's like I think they're tied into Matt Smith. When, you, when the yeah. Doctor meets the yeah, Daleks yeah, yeah. two times in the same series, and he yes. ma- he manages to 
follow them chronologically so their timelines go in sequence. Yeah. It's just it's just yeah. it's just a device of the storytelling. Exactly. Mm. Um. What else? Uh, are we done with the crack? Yeah, I, th- I think. I think. <laughs> the, we're done with the crack. The crack is a bit of a bottomless pit. The trouble with these conversations is we're going to be having these conversations again in a few weeks' time, aren't we? Uh, no. There's also something symbolic about the way the crack is presented on screen, which we'll get to when we get I to. I love that bit where he's touching tomorrow. the crack in the wall. He says, "If you took away the wall, the crack would still be there." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, that's great. Well, it's very Stephen Moffat-y. Yeah, that's. There's some lovely bits of dialogue, mm. but as it also gives the impression this is what Stephen Moffat does: is he comes up comes up with ideas that could create an entire story, mm. and he just he just gleefully throws them away in a line, mm. and then moves on. And it's kind of showing off because there are people people who desperately scrabble to come up with ideas, fans who scrabble to come up with ideas for single Doctor Who stories, and Stephen Moffat does five or six in one episode mm. and just he does wheelies he does Doctor Who mm. stories like he's doing wheelies but mm. what happens is those oh, ideas he's just showing off because he's clever and it's fr- just so you know well, it's just showing off it's, it's frustrating but it's fr- <laughs> but, but frustrating isn't necessarily a bad a bad reaction to have you sort of go oh for heaven's sake can I see please just see that story mm. or can I please see Billy the Fish please yeah and, but you know we're not we're denied but denial is good sometimes and also so, a lot of Stephen no, Moffat's ideas come out of the ideas that are already existing within the story so they create a sort of fundamental coherency around it yeah yeah he ties them in mm. I think it's a quote heavy episode as well you can take little quotes all the way through oh, well people have they're all on t-shirts I mean, this is, yeah I'm still cooking I still think yeah. it's one of the best lines ever in yeah, I am a man yeah. in the box yeah, that's oh, and people have taken that out of all context and proportion. But it's when it's delivered at the, the end of that episode, it's just such a lovely line. Yeah, and I'm everybody's. I think my, worse than everybody's aunt. My yeah. my yeah. reaction to this story, usually when I try to decide if I like a story or not, it's how memorable I I find it years later, and mm. I think that's why I like it more now mm. than I did when it was on, mm. because. I can remember so much about it and bits of it come back to me and bits of Matt Smith's acting and his motion, the way he jumps up from the ground mm. onto mm. both feet at the mm. same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really, really good comic, comic sort of physical comedian. Mm. And I think that's why I like it. I just instinctively like it. There were a couple of bits. Yeah, sorry. I, I was only going to say, there were a couple of bits that I didn't think he sold mm. where his acting just fell slightly short. But he is quite a young actor still, and he didn't set out to be an actor mm. when he initially left school. So I think they're kind of forgivable and almost not even noticeable. But there's just a couple of... The bit where he's on the computer and he's talking to the six different agencies from around the world. Mm. And he's just kind of whispering. Here, I also, but also, he yeah. didn't sell to me that he was talking to anybody. No, he looked it, To yeah. me, the actor yeah. looked like he was embarrassed to be sitting in front of a blank screen. Do you I know quite, what I mean? I question mm. the idea that that um, Patrick Moore would be convinced by advanced mathematics as well. Patrick Moore isn't a mathematician. He's <clears> a celebrity yeah. astronomer. But, but maybe the idea is that... NASA, if, maybe, but... But, yeah. but maybe the idea is that if he sells it to the other four and they say, bugger me, that's astonishing, yeah. then the two that they've not sold it to go along yeah. with them. I like, yeah, yeah. I like the fact Patrick Moore's there, but he's clearly there because they could get Patrick Moore. Yeah, yeah, Rather yeah. than he was like... And Annette Crosby. 
Which brings yes. me back to Olivia Colman and whether she's wasted. And on the one side of that coin is it's earlier in her career. She's a lot less well-known. So actually, this is a stepping stone to where she is now. Yeah, because yeah. I remember that being on. It's, oh, it's that woman from such and such. Mm. And then the other Didn't side of that. So this was before <clears throat> Tyrannosaur. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of peep show Olivia Colman. Yeah. At this, mm. at this stage, just about, just about to break free. Mm. But I think she was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I just, there's, yeah. there's one bit where where she sort of does this kind of arch sneer, which I found yeah. really hilarious. He kind of almost broke character with this sort of sneer, which doesn't work in the podcast. I, oh dear listener, if yeah, you yeah. could have seen that. Yeah, yeah. I did a I did a pitch perfect physical impression of Olivia Coleman. I even I adore this business of the thing manifesting as two different people. So the mm. dog and the yeah. the dog and the bloke. And I the, love that. another whole story. That Stephen yeah. Moffat just just yeah. gleefully throws into one, which, one concept, which is because why it's coherent. Yeah, 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 Which is why I think it's disappointing that the cosmetically Prisoner Zero is this snake that hangs off the ceiling, because it kind of I appreciate the, the teeth are there because it's the whole that's the scary bit, isn't it? That's yeah. what the kids don't mm. like. Whereas, but I think it kind of it's the compromise to make it mm. to make it to really hit home yeah. what it is. Because otherwise, it's a little bit too conceptual. Yes, you just never get your. It's not not really tangible <clears throat> enough. And actually, Prisoner Zero turns up maybe three times for maybe twenty seconds each time, or something mm. like that. And mm. that is not very much monster to be thrown into your debut story. No, and although the because conceptual it's stuff, of CGI. Is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, the conceptual stuff is great and yeah. it's spooky. Yeah, it's but actually, in a debut sense, story, it? It, it doesn't make sense that mm. this thing can't work out that two things. Like a dog and a and a, yeah. and a man are two separate beings, yeah. and yet physically it's this single snake. And so you think, well, surely it would be it would be able to establish. It's the same it thing. That, it's the same thing that doesn't really make sense if you look at the empty child with mm. any great sort of examination, because if these uh, what are they called nanogenes find a little boy dead on the floor. They're not gonna repair him with his injury intact and give everybody else the same injury. They're gonna work out that that injury is what's killed him, and that's gonna be the thing they repair. Mm. So that doesn't add up if you really think about it. But the story doesn't exist if you don't have that. So you, this is the kind of thing you either go, okay, this is what Stephen Moffat does, and again, the Weeping Angels don't make any sense whatsoever in Blink. You either say, okay, that's what he does. I go with it. Or else it becomes a huge problem. Yeah, but I also go a little bit further. I I think this is why monsters are scary when they don't make sense. So mm. I prefer monsters, and I know I know that there's a there's a there's an, a theory that monsters are more frightening if you can see how they've been evolved. So mm. one-eyed monsters. No, no, less. I would say. I th- oh, I'm agreeing with you. Oh, right, because you've always dis. I thought you'd always always dis- You'd always criticise monsters. When you can't see, so the one-eyed monsters like the monoids and Skagra. Oh no, 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 no! Because you can't see how they've evolved to that point. Oh, because I no, I I, my complaint with that is yeah. My complaint with that was that the writers couldn't see how they'd evolved to that point. They just said one eye because they thought one eye was cool. Well, I said yeah, but I also think it's more scary that way when you can't see how it's evolved, and also with the with the Skagroff, and that's. And it happens again. One single eye is very mythic. I mean, we're well, we're 
you know, mythically hardwired to find that frightening because it comes straight from the Cyclops. But it doesn't make any evolutionary no, sense. No, no, no. The thing that's really scary about monsters, if if a they look scary, and b there's a kind of uh, disjoint between your brain and what's making them tick yeah. that means yeah. you can't understand them either. Yeah. Which is for more than just evolution. It's yes. like something like the Weeping Angels, statues that come alive when you're not looking. Mm. That's scary. Yeah. But also this weird thing about how they survive and how they exist mm. where you can't actually stop and think about it. No. That takes you further away. So that gives you a second level. So mm. yeah. No, yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. That and that's better. why I found these monsters more frightening than say the Silurians because the Silurians have this sort of intricate kind of background where you can see that they've evolved from other creatures and that makes them, they're still, that, that's one success of them because they're realistic and they're solid but they're also less frightening <clears> than, <throat> than the Weeping Angels or the, the Prisoner Zero because oh, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. weird and uncanny about this idea. Absolutely, uncanny, that's it. Mm. If you can throw uncanniness onto looks horrible, yeah, then you've got two layers of fright, haven't you? Yeah, and Stephen Moffat's really good at the uncanny. His his monsters are silence as well. His monsters have this sort of uncanny twist. That Pretty much all in, of them. Taps in the kind of primal mythology. And next week we're going to have one... I mean, the yeah. Medusa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Smilers. Yeah, not... yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. I think next week's going to be a bit of an acid test. Mm. Um, I was going to say the other thing. Another thing that really bothered me about this is the bit where he calls the aliens back at the end. Mm. A, because that partly reminds me of the end of the Christmas invasion, which I didn't like. And B, because it struck me that Stephen Moffat's done all these really clever things throughout this episode and Stephen Moffat's writing is intelligent and usually he finds really intelligent ways of tying things up but in the 11th hour and it happens again in the Beast Below and it happens again in the Time of Angels and he keeps doing it through Series 5 and it happens again in Amy's Choice it happens all over the place in Series 5 and he doesn't get rid of it until he gets to the final two-parter at the end which is another reason why I think that's where Moffat's Doctor Who kicks off. At the end of the 11th hour, he wants a scene where you've got the 10 Doctors and Matt Smith steps mm. through them, mm. but he can't tie it into the story. So he has to give like this weird, disjointed what, prologue to yeah. the story. What he really needs... Oi, come back, I'm finished. What, yeah. he, really yeah. needs, what yeah. he really needs is the, yeah. is the confrontation with Prisoner Zero to be that moment. Yes. And rewrite the rest mm. of the episode mm. to lead up to that, so give Prisoner Zero a bit more... And you might not be able to get exactly that imagery, but, but you'd but have you still, you something still close have enough the, that the, you could the, do the, it. The, the Atraxi there. Do you know what would really nice? That moment, maybe speed We don't even need moment. the Atraxi to be there because, you know, that thing about the no, Atraxi thinking, being told off. I'm, th- is... I'm thinking more because, because that imagery of the Ten Doctors and the Doctor walking through it, that's quite a striking thing. It, so what it, you could have is the, the confrontation on the roof of the hospital and you don't get the Doctor calling the Atraxi back, you just get the Atraxi not disappearing and just still threatening to destroy No, you don't Earth. need the Atraxi and to then, be doing that. Well, th- but then They only do that so that you can have that scene. Yeah. Once mm. the Atraxi have got Prisoner Zero, for all anybody cares, but, they could just go. But, but my point is, my, point, my problem with that scene is it's 
too long and it comes after there's one ending which is when prisoner zero yeah. gets recaptured and then there's a second ending when he tells the atraxi off and that's a long there's, there's you a long don't period need him it. You, you don't, don't need it. him to tell the atraxi so off com- so you combine the two elements together so that you keep it's the only way of keeping that that moment where he, he has he tells the Atraxi because, who he is. But you don't need him to himself. be telling that to the Atraxi. I think that's a cool moment. It's though. very easy yeah, to Yeah, it's a this. cool moment, but he could tell that to Prisoner Zero. But Prisoner right? Zero wouldn't have the ability to... to. It's the Atraxi who have the ability to, to look into the planet's database and project that. Why you'd wouldn't... Have, you'd have yes, to but, really change Prisoner Zero. Well, you wouldn't, because Prisoner Zero is already going into people's he's already brains. And so actually, he's, Prisoner yeah. Zero could have morphed into the different Ooh, versions of the Doctor. With a bit more money. <laughs> it wouldn't have cost guy. that much more, to be honest. Wouldn't have, actually. Well, I mean, he could have done it. But, but yeah, I and think then, a, and then that would solve another problem, in that you wouldn't have this end, episode ending... In the same way as Victory of the Daleks does a fortnight yeah. later. How cool would it have been to see each of the Doctors kind of suddenly I think he looking could, into I existence? I think he, he could have done that, yeah. but it would have required much more re- rewriting. Or you could do a halfway house. It's very easy to say from the outside now, yeah. but I think you made a you made a very good point, which is this idea that the uh, the Prisoner Zero was hanging around in order because the Doctor was there. Mm. Therefore, the Doctor becomes the focus of it which yeah. is what you want yeah. for that first episode yeah therefore you tie it into the end where the doctor turns around and say yeah it's all very well you hanging around me do you know what you're dealing with here this yes. is what you're dealing with and the moment prisoner zero tries to mimic the doctor then you get all the different versions yes yeah and then you've you've and got then it, at like the end say, of it you don't have to involve the attraction and then at the end of it he blows himself out because he's realized what a stupid thing he's done in some way yeah you know, I mean, kind of not in a, oh, how dumb I am, but, you know, he short circuits yeah. and turns back into the snake. And that's when the Atraxi turn up, because I think the idea of calling the Atraxi back mm. to tell them. Actually, all that yeah. needs is a, is a little comment that says, oi, yeah. you know, now on your back, you've got your prisoner, now yeah, on your yeah, back. And don't yeah. ever threaten to yeah. bottle this planet I'm again. Ag- I think I'm agreeing that it's the calling them back bit that's which, stupid. which delays things. Yeah. Um, and either way, yeah. I, th- I think I would. But the then, but the other issue here is that this, the resolution to this story depends on the Doctor and Rory talking to Amy and saying, dream of it as a snake. And then two weeks later, you've got Amy telling, um, oh, Bill Patterson's character, can't remember his name, oh, dream about the bomb not going off. Yeah, but that, that's, that's really smart because I don't think it is because that's building up to the final. That's building up to the Pandorica Big Bang. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's how they reboot. The, so he's actually prefiguring. Yes, but he doesn't need series. to do it twice. Well, doing it two weeks because on both occasions it's an unnecessary addition that becomes a really obvious foreshadowing. It so if you only do it once, it becomes less obvious. That you're only doing it in order to foreshadow. Yeah. Maybe. But I just think twice, two weeks apart, too much makes it really obvious what he's doing. Mm. And okay, for children to make it really obvious, fine. But I didn't I didn't notice the similarities when I was watching it the first time between, really? between the eleventh hour and and the Dalek one. 
Oh, Many God. I was just sitting there thinking, you did this two weeks ago. That was all I could think in that scene. No, I was happy with it. Okay, fair enough. Well, it works for different ways for different people, but then that's why I didn't want it to be there, because it was me that saw it. Do you know what? I'm always very cynical about Bohemian Rhapsody by, by Queen, because everyone go on, goes on about it's the best song ever. Well, it isn't a song. It's, it's lots of mm. bits of... It's like, a, it's like a but actually, my favourite Queen records are where they used to put these together, these B sides, which are made of little snippets of all the different parts of the album. That was my favourite. You know, I, I, I couldn't get her for a whole Queen album. It's, and in the same way, Eleventh, you know, it, there's a, there's it, a, yeah, it probably isn't as cohesive as it could be, but I still love it. What it made me think of is that they might be giants long track yeah. um, called Fingertips. Yeah. And it's, that really is like 20 second bursts of different styles of music all the way through mm. that that are designed to sort of dip in and out. It's nothing like this episode. I don't agree with that. But no, I just remembered that they might be giants. No, there. I don't know. I think it is a bit like this episode because you know what struck me again, something else that struck me the very first time I watched it when I wasn't getting on with it was that scene in the room where the snake turns up and she goes in the room and the room's been hidden by a perception filter. Mm. That sort of, yeah. <laughs> but there's that sort of totally adrift from the rest of the episode. Mm. Yeah. There's lots of bits where it goes into a scene that feels totally adrift and then goes somewhere else. Mm. It's like the tone keeps changing all the way through it. Yeah. It's like, and I'm not saying an episode should just have one tone and not mm. change, but when an episode changes tone constantly all the way through it's you know you get to the end of it and you feel like what's the story i've just been told mm. i'm not saying on an intellectual level you think what's the story i've just been told but on a physical level you think what's the story i've just been told yeah yeah i mean well it's true if you if you ask what's the story of the 11th hour then you run into problems because because he does it's, a really good job of starting other stories. stories. It's not just several stories. It is, it is part of part of the whole season. But looked at individually, it becomes problematic. I think. Mm. In, a, in a way, in a way, it's it's similar to what he did with the good man goes to war. Yeah, that's a middle chapter, though. Isn't yeah. it? I think it's easier yeah. to take a middle well, chapter than yeah, a start chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. But I mean, I like them both, and actually, I like I like I had problems ranking this whole series because I have very fond memories of this series. I, I liked all of them. There oh. were there wasn't a Doctor's Daughter in this series for me. I had several. We'll oh, get to it. Yeah. I did. I'm. I know that I'm um, at odds with a lot of fandom, but I think this is Stephen Moffat's least successful series. I agree, and we'll get into why. I agree. Okay. I, I I found it very difficult to rank because I felt so many were kind of fair to middling, really. And there were two or three. I yeah. thought two or three real clunkers. We'll I get to I, them. I just thought it was consistent. I think I think nothing nothing took flight, but it was lukewarm. It was I think that's the words I'm looking for. It was all lukewarm because it was all building up to actually something with a bit of which is why I love the eleventh hour because it did have. Even if it wasn't cohesive, it still had big, lovely, meaty chunks. That Luke, I think Luke one more comfortable, and okay. and you know, you can you can dismiss comfortable quite easily. But actually, it is it is nice for a Saturday night. Yeah, to have something that, yeah. 
I tell you what, it's a bit depressing thing I found it really strange <laughs> when I first watched Series 5. Is when I first watched The Beast Below, I thought, oh, thank God, that was so much better than The Eleventh Hour. And then when I rewatched Beast Below, I thought, oh, my God, what on earth was I thinking? Oh, it'll be interesting next week. Well, uh, that's because, what I'm saying. I'm teasing because, next week now. We'll see. Because I don't think it's anywhere near as... I'll, I'll say this at the time, but I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as people say. Well, we'll find out next week when we watch it, because... I love it. <laughs> the Beast Below. Yeah. Well, you're joining us next week, then, or not. Okay. <laughs> but not the week after, because we've got something special planned for the Dalek episode, which people will find out in the fullness of time. I've been bumped. You have been bumped that's in favour of a Dalek. Yeah, I can live with that. Um, but until next week, then, when we talk about the Beast Blow, any final thoughts on um, 11th Hour? I, I think, think we've pretty much... I think we've run the risk of actually talking about the whole series, if we're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's in danger of being a template for the Considering it's so flawed, it's almost the perfect regeneration story. Mm. I don't think there's a better one. I have to be honest. Uh, if, you, if you took... Yeah, I don't, spearhead. Well, first, first you say about Spearhead, yeah. That's got the better... First Doctor story. Background. Sorry, yeah. Yeah? It's not, really, it's not a regeneration story. I think if you put in a better Prisoner Zero story yeah. into 11th Hour, I think it would be just... Sublime, yeah. Sublime, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it falls short. Mm. I think the A plot and the B plot don't match up. And I think, you know, I mean, I've said this about half a dozen times now. I think because the A plot and the B plot don't match up, I think it makes it a bit raggedy. Oh, that's kind of appropriate, isn't it? It's not, not as good as time in the Rani. <laughs> Until we talk about the beast below next week, then I was, no, hang on. Oh, I was Matt. I was Simon. And I was JR. And we'll speak again soon. quick easter egg because we forgot to score it out of 10 oh. <laughs> uh, Matt do you want to give it a score out of 10 8 Simon it's between an 8 and a 9 uh, oh give it a 9 yeah you loved it a nine. it deserves it and I'm going to give it an 8 as well because I think although it was great fun I think there were better stories to come so okay then that's the end we'll speak again next week